Welcome to the Prayer Storm Podcast. We hope this teaching will encourage you and equip you to live a lifestyle of holiness and intercession. Don't forget James's new book, Life on Fire, is out now. It's our first release from Prayer Storm and it's available on prayerstorm.org. The link is also available in the podcast description. Hey everyone, it's great to be with you today. Before I go into the word uh, that I've just been read, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. We thank you, Father, that it's not by our abilities, but it's by your spirit that we get to go deeper in relationship with you. So, Lord, we open our hearts to you tonight. We say, God, take us where we've never been before. Challenge us, awaken us, set our hearts on fire. Uh, release upon us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Cause the eyes of our understanding to be flooded with light. So we say, Father, uh, let this university truly arise and be everything you've called it to be. And let souls be saved, God, like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's an honor to be with you today. It's my first time. I've been at Oxford several times over the years, but my first time uh, speaking in this context. Um, and I love the passage that has just been read because I said earlier, I'm part of a ministry that has a heart to mobilize prayer. Now, obviously, in this passage, the disciples uh, were wanting to learn how to pray. And think about the fact that the disciples didn't ask Jesus to teach them how to preach. The disciples didn't ask Jesus to teach them how to raise the dead or heal the sick or do these amazing things. They did ask Jesus, though, to teach them how to pray because they knew that everything he did came from his prayer life. Now, the prayer that we read out oftentimes or we pray, which we call the Lord's Prayer, is actually the disciples' prayer. Because if you think about it, Jesus was giving them a template of what to pray. Now, Jesus himself would spend hours on the mountain. He prayed through the night. He didn't just pray for five minutes. And yes, he did do short prayers, but there are times where he'll go on the mountaintop and pray for six, seven, eight hours. And this is the Son of God. This is God in human form. So my question to you is, if Jesus had to pray that much, who am I to think I'm okay with two minutes of prayer? Now, he had to spend that kind of time in prayer because he understood the value of his relationship with the Father. Now, the disciples came to him and said, teach us how to pray. And then he taught them this prayer, which we often repeat, if you were to repeat the Lord's Prayer, you're probably going to take about 20, 25 seconds, or however, it depends on how long, how fast you say it, right? It takes about maybe 30 seconds to say the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus himself is praying for six, seven hours. So the question is, what, he, what is Jesus praying for seven, eight hours? Is he praying the Lord's Prayer on repeat? I don't think so. I think the Lord's Prayer is a template that leads us into realms of encounter with God. Because what makes us different in this room, if you're a believer, you believe Jesus, and you have a relationship with him, what makes you different from the person out there that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus is the fact that you've had an encounter with Jesus. John 3, 3 says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. It's not actually talking about what your physical eyes see. It's talking about unless you're born into the spiritual world of God, you don't have the ability to perceive the kingdom of God. You know, you have a baby in the womb. A baby develops legs. A baby develops eyes. A baby develops ears. And the baby is in the womb, but the eyes that the baby develops in the womb is not for the womb. The baby has to be born before those eyes are activated to actually make any, be of any use to the baby, right? In the same way, 
Every human being has eternity written on their hearts. However, they have to be born into a new kingdom before their spiritual senses to perceive from that kingdom are activated. Are you with me today? Can I get an amen? <laughs> Great. So God is calling us as his people not just to pray the Lord's Prayer, but to enter into some of the patterns that he's trying to expose to us. And we're going to go into a few things that I believe are very relevant for us right now. Now, I know you've been doing some evangelism. You've been reaching out. You've been preaching the gospel. Uh, but I want to say to you, preaching the gospel and doing evangelism is not just about doing the evangelism. It's not just about doing witnessing. God is calling to something bigger than that. He's calling you to be a witness, not just do witnessing. Because you can step into the activity while your heart is disconnected. And you know, the people you're trying to reach for God, they're not just listening to the words you're talking about, they're watching the life you're living. And so this prayer, this template becomes really important. When you take it step by step, it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, the first part of the prayer is all about God's agenda. Father who is in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as heaven. Then the next part of the prayer is what is about us. Give us this, that, day bread. You know, forgive us. It's all about us. So actually, prayer starts with our focus on God. It's about Him. It's not about us. And this is where many people get prayer wrong. And this is why people find prayer boring. Because they treat prayer as a means of getting God to do something for them. And I want to say to you loud and clear, God is not a vending machine. God does not exist just to do what you want him to do, when you want him to do, how you want him to do it. God is after relationship. I mean, have you ever had people who want to be close to you in a relationship and they only come to you when they need you to do something for them? What do you call that relationship? It's, it's a dysfunctional relationship. And no one wants to be in a relationship where the person you're in a relationship with only comes to you when they want to get something from you. Now, thank God we have a good heavenly father. Even though many of us Christians do that to God, he still wants us to talk to him, but it's actually more, it's after more than that. So if your relationship with God is based on just what you can get, it's a picture of your maturity, your level of spiritual maturity. I've got a one-year-old. Her name is Evangeline. Actually, I love that, Evangelist. She's an evangelist for God. We call that that name on purpose. Now, she's one years old, and all she thinks about is herself. She cries when she needs something. She cries when she doesn't have a way. And all she wants is for us to do what she wants, when she wants, and how she wants. Many Christians are just like that. All they want is God, just bless me, make me feel good, do this, do this, do this, do this. But as she grows, my relationship with her and her relationship with me should mature. So we should now start having other conversations apart from da, 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 and ba, 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 right? And some Christians are still, you might have been a Christian all your life and you still could be spiritually immature in your relationship with God because the content of your prayer life is very selfish. It's not God-focused. It's not kingdom-focused. It's not, it's not focused on the bigger agenda. And when you start to realize that, then it's important you say, Lord, I need, to begin a, I, I need you, Lord, to begin to change my heart and help me to see your kingdom in a fresh way. Unless you're born again, you cannot see, you cannot perceive. Lord, help me to perceive what you're doing. Lord, change my heart from a complacent, dead, stony, distracted, perverted, whatever it is, place. And Lord, help me to see you as you want me to see you and help me to see the world as you want me to see the world. I don't just want to do witnessing. I want to be a living witness everywhere I go. And so the prayer goes, our Father in heaven, hallowed be be your name. This is a key part. 
Your kingdom come. Everyone say, your kingdom come. Can we talk on the coronavirus? I'm sure we can. Let's do that again. Your kingdom come. Those are huge words. Someone say huge. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Your kingdom come, right? You've got to first break down that word kingdom. Okay, the word kingdom means two words, king and domain. So we are called to cry out to the Father to say, Lord, let your king domain, let your government, okay, come on earth just as it is in heaven. So the reference point for the government of God on earth is what's going on in heaven. Well, let's take a moment to examine what's going on in heaven. In heaven, they're angels. In heaven, they're saints, right? The angels in heaven are not robots. The saints in heaven are not robots. They have a will. Now, we know angels are not robots because Satan was once a high-ranking angel in heaven, and by an act of his will, he rebelled against the kingdom of God. And you know what happened? He was kicked out of heaven, right? So angels are not robots. Out of their will, they submit to God's government in heaven. So in heaven, the will of God is done, 100%. When God wants something, it's done. When God desires something, it's done. So there is zero resistance in the hearts of the saints and the hearts of the angels to the will of God in heaven. So the kingdom, the domain, the government of heaven is real in heaven. However, it's not so real on the earth. So here we are. And he's, the Lord is saying, he's calling us to cry out for his government to come on earth as it is in heaven. But there's a challenge here. So, you know, you, you got to break this down and realize this is not just a prayer you can trivialize and just pray without thinking it through, especially if you really want to pray sincerely. Because really, you don't have the authority to ask God's kingdom to come in your halls of residence, to ask God's kingdom to come in your family. You don't have the authority to pray, Lord, let your kingdom be, let your will be done out there if his will is not being done in here. Because, again, the kingdom of God is about the government of heaven. So God has an opinion about your relationships. God's, God has an opinion about who you think should be your boyfriend, your girlfriend. God has an opinion about how you spend your money. God has an opinion about what you watch. God has an opinion about what you watch on Netflix or whatever it is on YouTube. God has an opinion. But if his will is not being done in you, you lack the authority to command it to be done out there. Because everything starts with the kingdom in you. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. So God wants his government to be real. And what that looks like is you become an agent of his kingdom. You become an ambassador of his kingdom wherever you go. So you live your life according to the dictates of heaven. And there are many Christians today praying, Lord, let your kingdom come. But they do whatever they want to do, however they want to do. They curse this person out. They watch pornography. They go over here. They do whatever they want to do. And they don't really care about the government of heaven. 
How can we change the world if we're preaching a gospel that we are not living ourselves? We, we, cannot, we cannot be salesmen for a gospel that hasn't changed our lives. How can I be telling you, look, this gospel is powerful and God is going to do this in your life when I myself am bound to all kinds of addictions? We say, yes, he's delivered from darkness. We say the gospel is power. We say the gospel delivers us from sin. Well, tell me, what has the gospel delivered you from? Are you delivered from perversion? Are you delivered from lying? Are you delivered from stealing? Are you delivered from envy? Are you delivered from loss? Tell me, what is the power of the gospel at work in your life right now? If the gospel is not working in you, you have no authority to release its power out there because it starts in you and it goes out there. Now I'm shouting, right? <laughs> it's because this is burning up in me. God wants to raise up agents of the kingdom that will bring transformation. Because 10 years from now, you're probably not going to be here. You're probably going to be in a government. You're probably going to be in some high-ranking place in authority. And if the government of God is not real in your life, you're going to be in that position, have the name Christian, but never extend the kingdom in that place. Because the kingdom of God cannot be disconnected from the will of God. Wherever you have the kingdom of God manifesting, there you have the will of God being done. Question, is the will of God being done in your life? Or are you just living your life however you want? Because this is when you start to realize salvation is free. But if you want to grow in God, it's going to cost you. In fact, you know what he says? Pick up your cross. And follow me. I guess you need to ask the question, Lord, where am I following you to with my cross? Well, you're following him with your cross to the exact place he got crucified. And you know what's going to happen? He wants to crucify you on your own cross. So Jesus did not just die on the cross for our sins. He died also to show you how to die because you're called to die to yourself and your will so that his kingdom can come through you. I tell you, the world is yet to see what can happen through believers that are truly dead to themselves. Even Jesus had to die to his will. He said, not my will, but yours be done. He understood the government of heaven. Many believers in a similar position to Jesus will just choose to do what they want and not what God wants. So when you talk about the kingdom of God, don't use that word in a trivial way. Understand that it carries weight. And God is expecting you to live your life in submission to his agenda. And I'm telling you, there's so much that God has in his mind that we have no idea about. God really does have an opinion about the way we do things. And oftentimes, we just think God doesn't care. God has an opinion about the music you listen to. Some of you listen to junk. You listen to music that you know Jesus will not sit in your room and listen to that music with you. You watch movies that you know Jesus will not come and sit in your room and watch that movie with you. If you know it's not okay for the Holy Spirit to be there and watch that unholy thing, why do you entertain it? You've got the Holy Spirit, right? For a reason, to live holy. It's not just there to make you feel good for the moment and say, oh yes, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, amazing, yes. See, this is where the rubber hits the road and you become a witness. You don't just do witnessing because people are watching your actions. People are watching the way you live. People are watching the way you, 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 the way, the way you handle yourself. It's so important. The gospel is more than just the words. Yes, we're going to preach the gospel in words. But I'm telling you, our lives need to come under the government of heaven. Maybe you're listening to me and getting annoyed. That's good. Because I remember one day I was invited uh, somewhere to a fundraising meeting. 
Actually, a friend of mine organized this fundraiser meeting, and uh, he said to me, James, you know, you lead a charity, and I lead a, something as well. He said, I've got a few friends who are like wealthy people. We're going to organize this dinner, and I don't know, maybe there was about, I don't know, 15 people in the room, and it was all, everyone was dressed up, looking very smart. And so I sat next to him. We had a very nice meal. And then at some point, he got up and shared about what he did. So his agenda was that by sharing about his charity, that perhaps this Wealthy men, and there was only men there, no women. This wealthy man would probably support his work. So he thought, well, James, I think it's good you share about what you do. Now, I had no context for that meeting. I didn't know if the people there were Christians or not, but I assumed they weren't Christians. So it's very difficult for me to explain what I do to a non-Christian. So I thought, how do I? So I looked for the, because he spoke about trafficking. So I looked for the simplest way to explain what I did. And you can see I'm very passionate and I shout. I wasn't shouting like this. I was very calm and very chilled. <laughs> well, I, I didn't, my friend, he talked for so long, and I made sure I made, I made sure my section was so, so short. I didn't speak for very long. So when I finished, I sat down. I said, oh, thank God that's over. Well, to my shock and my horror, one of the businessmen around the table looked at my friend and said, thank you for what you shared. That really made lots of sense, and I really appreciate that. But then he looked at me and says, but you've offended me. How dare you imply I'm not Christian? And he just exploded in this meeting. Honestly, it's one of those moments where I was like, Lord, please let this be a dream. Please, Lord, I want to wake up right now. You know, one of those moments where you're like, no, this is not happening. I'm thinking, Lord, I'm sorry I've embarrassed you. Lord, what have I done? So I turned to my friend. I said, did I say anything bad? Or He said, no, you didn't say anything. So this guy, literally, he was just going mental at me. And this is how the meeting ended. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, Lord, this is horrible. So I was feeling so horrible about myself. thinking, oh, Lord, I don't know what I did. Maybe I said something wrong, Lord. I've not been a good witness. And in a moment, I felt the Lord just interrupt my thoughts and just gave me a picture of what was really going on. The Lord said to me, James, when you started to speak, you were bringing my kingdom into that meeting. And when my kingdom was being released in the atmosphere, there was a clash of kingdoms going on. And what happened in the spiritual realm was he got agitated because something was stirring in him. And the Lord took me through scripture on the day of Pentecost. You know what happened? Peter got up to preach the gospel. And you know what, when he preached, you know what the Bible says? It says they were caught to the heart. That is conviction. They were caught to the heart, and their response was, what must we do to be saved? Now, fast forward, Acts 6. Oh, no, actually, further on from Acts 6. Acts 6, Stephen was picked to kind of, you know, serve the tables. Later on, Stephen was being persecuted, right? And when he preached, you know what happened? People got so angry. He said the same words in Acts. He said they were caught to the heart. So in Acts 2, they were caught to the heart and they said, what shall we do to be saved? But when Stephen preached, they were caught to the heart. Do you know what they did? They picked up stones to kill him. So the Lord was saying to me, James, conviction can have different manifestations. On one hand, the conviction of the Holy Spirit can bring humility and a contrite heart and cause someone to say, what must I do to be saved? But on the other hand, conviction can get people mad. So if you're going to represent the kingdom, be okay with the fact that people are not always going to like you. This is not a popularity contest, right? We're here to represent the king of kings. And as long as we are more concerned about the opinions of people, we are going to water down the message of the gospel to fit their culture and their lifestyle. But I want to say to you, the message of the gospel is not here to be watered down to the culture. The culture is supposed to be challenged to come up to the standard of scripture. And we're not saying we're perfect and we're better than anyone else. We're just saying he saved us from sin and sin is horrible and he wants to save you too. So come out of your darkness and don't live in darkness. 
darkness, because you can live free from darkness, because I am an example of that, because I am under his government, and you can come under his government too. And when they come on, under that government, guess what? The king's dominion is advancing, and now his will starts to manifest on earth like it is in heaven. In other words, there is zero resistance in me to what he wants to do through me. How much resistance is there in you to what he wants to do through you? When that becomes like zero, and God can say, Nathan, get up, do this. Nathan, do this. Nathan, preach here. Nathan, go there. And you can, or Emma, do this. Or people do this. And you are, when they say yes in your heart, then you're a true agent of the kingdom. So I'm, I'm running up right now. I think my time is almost up. Yeah. Salvation takes place in different phases. You're born again is a spiritual experience, but that born again experience in the spirit now needs to translate to the soul, your will and your emotions. And that is where many people struggle because they're excited that they're in relationship with God, but his government has not started to override their emotions and their will. They're still, they're still the ones on the thrones of their hearts. And when you truly start to say, God, he starts to dethrone you from your throne because he wants to be on the throne of your heart. Then you can truly be a living witness. That's why Romans 12 says you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A sacrifice is not living. A sacrifice is dead. Why do you have to be a living sacrifice? Because Paul says, I die daily. You die today to your will, and guess what? Tomorrow you have to die again to your will. You have to, you have to die again to your will. And you live your life under his domain. And then God can start and trust you with true riches of the kingdom. I round up with this statement. God loves you, but that doesn't mean God always trusts you. God wants to release his kingdom through you. And if he's going to do that, he's going to test you with your obedience. And the more you say yes to him, the more he's going to entrust you with. Those who are faithful in little will be given much. My time is up. I'm going to pray right now. Father, I thank you for this university. I thank you for the people in this room. I thank you for what you have prepared for each of them in years to come. And Lord, right now, I'm asking that you would raise up agents of your kingdom. I'm asking that, Lord, in this room, you raise up people that will be submitted to your dominion, ready to do your will, Father, whatever it is, Father. So, Lord, I say, set us on fire again for what you want, Lord. Father, we say we don't want to just do what we want. We want to do what you want. We're here on this university campus. We're here on earth to fulfill your purpose. So, Father, we say, here we are. Use us for your glory. We don't just want to do witnessing. We want to be living witnesses everywhere you go. And so, Father, we pray that prayer again. Father, let your kingdom come. Let your king's reign and dominion come. And let your will be done in us and through us so that the world may know who you really are as a good father, a God that loves them. You died. You sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for their sins. We want to be living witnesses of the gospel everywhere we go. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Prayer Storm podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at prayerstorm, all one word. Find us on YouTube as well. We put up regular teachings and worship sessions and prayer nights on there. Don't forget James's new book, Life on Fire, at prayerstorm.org. The link is also in the description.